0: Aloha. Aloha, if you have your Bibles and I hope you do turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 12 the Gospel of Mark chapter 12 And as you turn that I want to remind you that Ohana Church. We are a church plan six or oh, seven years ago this August my wife and I moved here in 2013 on our fifth wedding anniversary And by God's grace, you see what you see today, but one of our visions Planting this church before we even got on the field was that God in his sovereign grace would allow us to plant 10 churches in 10 years. And you know that that's been our journey, that one of the ways we make disciples, not just through this church or in this church, but also to the ends of the earth. And so what I want to do is I want to give God a big praise this morning for three new church plants we're going to plant next year. Give the Lord a clap of praise. Now, now this is exciting because these three church planters and planting families are going to plant in the same exact areas, just different communities. And God has called these three families to Kailua, Kona. Praise the Lord. Amen, right? You guys may know one of our first church plants was in Kailua, Pastor Jay and New Life Church. In fact, some of your family members in this church has moved to Kailua Kona to be a part of Pastor Jay's church. Well, next year, we're planting three churches. One uh, got one uh, family by the name of the Kanda Ohana, they are actually from Kona, grew up, born and raised in Kona, and the other two families, the Warfields and the Sims family, Ohana, is from the mainland, and we've already established some partnership with them, and by the time all of them are planted, listen to me, right, this will be 11 churches in six years, can you give God praise, give God praise, this is a big deal, Remember, we said that God did not bless our church just to bless us, just to sit on it. But God blessed us so that we could be a blessing. Psalm 67 7 is one of my favorite verses of all time. It says that the Lord blesses us so that the ends of the earth may come to know him. So, as you know, we've planted churches in Hawaii, in Arizona, and now in Japan. Why? Because God is about His glory being manifested among the ends of the earth. What can come out of Hilo? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, we're walking through a series called The Struggle is Real, right? Living a Christian life in a fallen world. And we are an expository preaching church, meaning that we preach books of the Bible verse by verse. And we've been walking through the gospel of Mark for the last three years. And we finally landed on chapter 12 in verses 18 to 27. And we've been identifying some contextual and cultural uh, challenges or struggles in our life. And yesterday was a struggle. Can I get a witness out there, okay? Let me tell you about my pattern, yesterday or my adventure yesterday. For some reason, in God's grace, he allowed me and the boys to give Auntie and Mama a break yesterday. So we went to four miles, Carl Smith, right, and all that, and never had parking. At four miles, or oh Carl Smith. So we went to the, you know, that big, that smaller parking area back behind, by the hotel and all that. Never had parking there. So like any local brothers, we just gonna park on the side of the street. We go over there. And you know me, I was too lazy to walk down the street and just go to four miles. You get you with me? Instead, I said, hey, we're going to take the trail to Lalaquil. And then we're going to be right there at the point of Carl Smith. What I did not realize... Was that since I was a high school boy, the trails of La La changed. And when I say the struggle was real, this big momona boy, right? Had some struggles going on, all right? And my boys, they're energetic. They're running down the trail. They've never done this trail since... Since they were born, and they've done it. I've not seen this trail since high school days. And lo and behold, what should have taken us five minutes, if that, to get down to four miles straight on the highway. Took us literally 45 minutes to get through all the bushes. And finally at the point of four miles. It doesn't end there, guys. There's only one way back. All right? Where you came from. But... The devil is a liar to think that I would go that direction again. Can I get a witness out there, right? So you best believe we got all kanaka over there, all right? And you got to imagine, we had our folding chairs, we had all our stuff, our keys, our phones, our stuff, and so you're like, yes, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. I know it's high tide, but we're all going to grab something, put it over our head, and walk through Carl Smith, understanding I'm only barely 5'7", seven, Right? And then two of our people cannot swim in our group. The struggle is real, Hawaiians, I'm telling you right now. So this is where teamwork came in. Like the dream was about to work, everybody. And half of our team is done, right? And I look back and Josiah, who, couldn't, who can't swim at all, is about to drown with himself on Kaimana's back. I have my phone, my keys, and so I throw it to Dave, right? By the way, Dave can't swim, but thank God he's over six foot, he's over high tie, right? And all I see is Josiah doing this. You ready? (laughs) But you know what? I saw perseverance. Mana boy grabbed him by the neck. For real. And Monarch barely can swim. He grabbed his cousin by the neck, threw him on his back, and got to the closest reef. That's Akamai, guys. The struggle was real. But in the midst of our struggle, God provides a remedy. Can I get a witness, right? You may be struggling in life today. You may be walking through some kind of journey in a relationship, in a situation, that all you see is pain. All you see is suffering. All you see is struggle. But right there in the midst of your struggle, God provides a remedy, a remedy of hope, a remedy of peace, a remedy of joy. And he provided through his perfect son, Jesus. Do you know him today? Do you know this Jesus? who in his sovereign grace has demoted himself from the gates of heaven, who comes to earth as flesh, a perfect flesh, a perfect man, and a perfect God, so that in him would have life everlasting. The struggle is real, is a true, genuine thing that we all go through. And last week, as Jesus is having this dialogue with a specific group of the Sanhedrin called the Pharisees and the Herodians, we learned three things within this struggle. Number one, we saw political, we saw religious politics. Number two, we saw religious manipulation. And number three, we saw religious redemption. We saw that the brother of Jesus, James, redeems this word religion which was looked down for many centuries, and he says good religion is that we take care one another in the name of Christ. And so as you are at your text today, your beautiful word that we call the living word of God, the written word of God, would you stand with me in God's perfect reading? Starting in verse 18, in a dialogue that Jesus continues to have in the temple. Mau kau kau The Sadducees came to Jesus, who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, teacher, say that big T word with me, one, two, three, Tennessee, I mean teacher, yeah, you're right, teacher. Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the the woman also died in the resurrection. When they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus responds and he says, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for dead being raised, have, have you not read in the book of Moses... In the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the what, everyone? Living. You are quite wrong. God, we thank you for your infallible word. We thank you that it is perfect, it is sufficient, It is good, and God, we pray that whatever struggle we are going through, that we can identify the words of Jesus when he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And so, God, we come to you through the sufficiency of your word, the word of your testimony, to the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray, and God's ohana says loud and proud. Amen. En ilalo, you may be seated. I'm continuing on off of last week's text in entitling our sermon today, Jesus, the True Teacher, Part 2. As you know, there is background to our text. Some scholars believe that this is Wednesday of Passion Week. There is dialogues going on this daily journey with Jesus in the temple. And since chapter 11 to now in chapter 12, we see multiple groups of religious leaders and political leaders who are having a a very tough conversation and dialogue with the Lord Jesus himself. They are known as the high priests. They are known as the scribes, the elders, the Pharisees, the Herodians. And today we see the Sanhedrin, known as the Sadducees. This tells us that the ministry of Jesus, everybody listen to me, the ministry of Jesus was highly offensive. All right, tell your neighbor, neighbor, Jesus Jesus. is offensive. All right, now, now, say it like you offend people too. One, two, three, say neighbor. Neighbor. Now, now, don't say proper English. Speak broken pigeon English over here and say neighbor. All right, listen to me. All right. We offend people. And if you think you do not offend people, guess what? I promise you, you are an offender. You are an offender. Every one of us offends someone. But in Jesus' case, he is using doctrine and theology to represent who his father is and who he is. The struggle in these verses is being able to communicate truth in clear opposition. Listen to me. It's easy to talk to somebody when you guys agree on everything. It's hard to talk to somebody when you have distinctive views of doctrine. I would encourage you to not say yes in every conversation you have, but use your thinking and your listening to really absorb it and evaluate the scriptures. From the scriptures. And we see Jesus being very clear. And and one of the terms used in theological circles is the term apologetics. The word apologetics doesn't mean to apologize. Alright? The word apologetics actually means to have a ready defense. It is the ability to communicate what you believe and why you believe what you believe. That's what apologetic means. It comes from the Greek word apologio, a ready defense, meaning that there is unclarity out there today. There are people, if you did not know this, that believe in things that you don't believe in. Therefore, how are we able to communicate with one another and have a dialogue like Jesus has had this dialogue with all these religious rulers? Well, I believe Jesus teaches us a great application of apologetics. And though apologetics is a wide range of doctrines and theolo- theological topics, I want you to see how Jesus it lives out apologetics in really two visual views. The first one we'll view is this, the Sadducees. In verse 18, it's very clear that this group, the Sadducees, is introduced for the first time and the only time, specifically in the Gospel of Mark's account. Now, there's a lot of historical things that the Bible does not jump, that things don't jump out of the Bible that you have to study deeper into. And so what I want to do in a hermeneutical understanding of studying the Scripture, I want you guys to understand what's going on historically. All right? Who was the Sadducees? Well, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, their origin comes from the same historical account they're actually almost 200 years before Jesus was born in a major. They came into existence around the revolt of the Maccabean era. Anybody know, have ever heard the name Maccabee, right? Maccabeans. Well, if you grew up in a Catholic church, the Catholic church has an extension of a Bible that's called the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha talks about this Maccabean area. So the Maccabean revolt happened between Malachi and Matthew. This 400 years of separation, there was a revolt that took place in Israel. And the revolt, the result, the, the revolt was with the Pharisees and the Sadducees against the Hellenius. There are Greek worshippers, Zeus, Hera, Apollo, these Greek mythology stories we grew up learning in school, right? And so there was a conflict, there was a mis there was different doctrines. And because Rome ruled Jerusalem and Israel at the time, there was this hakaka, this fight about what the Jews believed and what the Greeks believed. Therefore, what we see out of this revolt is these two religious groups who comes from the same origin, but also in time, they would not believe in the same doctrines. Specifically, if we look at the Sadducees, they were aristocratic in nature. They were noble in how they handled things, very diplomatic in how they did things. The Sadducees did not believe in a literal resurrection, Like how they approach Jesus. It says it right there in verse 18. They didn't believe in any resurrection. But the Pharisees, on the other hand, they believed in a national resurrection. Meaning that all of Israel will someday rise up and be free from Roman authority. Let let me share with you what that looks like for us today in Hawaii. The sovereignty movement. The Mauna Kea. The activism that's going on. Us believing as Hawaiians that we will be free from the oppression of America is exactly the same of how these people viewed these Pharisees viewed their nation. Pharisees believed in a national resurrection and they believed in an actual resurrection from the dead. So they were a, a, a com, they were comp, they were very in the same thought as Jesus preaching about his resurrection in Matthew, in Mark eight, nine, and ten. And so there was something that Jesus and the Pharisees believed in. But in some sense, I want you to hear very clear. Historically, the Sadducees believed in free will alone. Well, the the Pharisees were opposite. They believed in God's divine sovereignty. And so I want you to hear this very clear from James Edward. He says, they believed, right, that at death, the soul perished along with the body. And hence that there was no future or punishment. This is the Sadducees. They believe when you die, you die. Period. In fact, this is a philosophy that is lived out with Parmedia. You know, later on, hundreds of years later. And so we see this philosophy and this doctrine lived out that nothing happens after death. Pharisees, like Jesus, believe into a literal resurrection. I would say this, that as the Pharisees believe in the sovereignty of God... We see this Sanhedrin of the Sadducees who really use manipulation as a tool to reject any doctrine when it had to do with the sovereignty of God. And so in the dialogue of the Sadducees and Jesus, they question Jesus with a mosaic understanding of marriage, death, and resurrection. Which is ironic because they don't believe in the resurrection. This right here would know that they're being divisive. And so I want you to be very clear from verse 19 to 23, a historical practice and biblical practice called the Levirate marriage. Levirate marriage. And specifically in Genesis 38 to Deuteronomy 25, you see that the Levirate marriage is exactly what these Sadducees are talking about from verses 19 to 23. They ask him a question. Jesus, there was this one sister who in married this one brother. And this brother went make, he didn't die, and then he, she ended up marrying all seven of the other brothers, six of the other brothers, totaling them seven, right? And they told Jesus, on the day of resurrection, which they did not believe in, right, but they did it anyway, on the day of resurrection, who will she be married to? Since she married all those brothers, right? And I want you to see what Jesus does, all right? In understanding this Levirate marriage, right? Jesus makes a great point about understanding the law of Moses. I want you to be, I want you to hear this very clear, right? Though they denied the resurrection, and they tried to trap Jesus with this understanding of the resurrection, Jesus in His grace, God, listen to me. Jesus in His grace continues to have a dialogue with these blasphemers. Now, now this is very applicable, okay, for us today. Because what kind of love is this when you love people that look and act just like you? That's not love. That's something comfortable. But as we see Jesus in these daily dialogues through the temple, this is like the third conversation he's having that's a tough one. Could you imagine hanging around a set of people, a group of people that has nothing know nothing about jesus let 's talk about Japan since we talked about Japan today. Do you know that Japan is less than 03 percent Christian that over one hundred thirty million people, if they die today without Christ, would spend eternity in hell now let 's go beyond the language barriers because I cannot speak Japanese outside of gozai gozaimasu. You know what I'm saying? Sayonara, right? But the reality is there's words that Japanese language does not have that the Bible has. One of the words that the Japanese did not have for centuries that the missionaries had to create is the word sin. There is no word for sin in the Jap- traditional Japanese language. So when the, when, when the borders opened back up in the late 1800s, these missionaries had a hard work, hard task. They have to create the words and phrases that came from the scriptures that was not in their original dialect, tongue. And so when you deal with Japanese, right, they are ascetics. What is an ascetic? An ascetic is like a monk, where the issue is not what's in you, but the issue is what? What's around you. So what these monks would do to sanctify themselves, they would stay away from the world, right, and focus just on them. No, no, that's not completely wrong, right? I think there's some Christian beliefs and theological understanding in that. But the reality is what the gospel teaches us is that the gospel is not given to us to be stored. But the gospel is given to us so that it may be shared. Shared with people that don't look like us share with people don't with people that don't act like us share with people That don't talk like us share with people who do not have any foundation of Christianity You can use all your christianese language here. It won't work in Japan It won't work in the Middle East even won't work in some places in Italy where I've been And so jesus provides the remedy of a healthy dialogue. What does he do? Number two, here's the second visual. He points us, he points these Sadducees to the scriptures. Everybody say that word with me, one, two, three. The scriptures, right? In verse 24 to 27, we see three clear things on how Jesus addresses marriage, death, and resurrection. And if you get anything out of this next few minutes... I want you to get these three tangible truths of how Jesus have a dialogue and how he addresses these Sadducees. First of all, we see that Jesus addresses scripture and how it's taken out of context. Look at verse 24. Jesus said to them clearly, is this not the reason you are wrong because you know neither the what? The scriptures or the what? Power of God. In our context today, There is a specific theme or word that everybody uses in their conversations about God and themselves. And it's this phrase. Well, we should not what? Judge one another. Anyone of you heard that before? Has anyone said that before? Amen. I've said it too. But you will fall short of biblical truths if you don't really understand that concept. Let me be very clear. We can use the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, 1 to 5 out of context, where it says, do not judge lest you be judged. It's not talking about that you shouldn't judge. It's actually giving clarity that you should judge rightfully. Meaning, if you already have sin in your own life, and you're judging somebody when you already have the same issue, right? You're a hypocrite. You should not correct Confront anybody until you take care of your own hypocrisy. In fact, Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew that if there's a speck in your eye, take care of that first. Because we know if we look at John chapter 4, 7 verse 24, it says don't judge by appearance, right? But judge from a rightful judgment. What is a rightful judgment? One of the heart. Check your heart first. Then go to a brother or a sister, and correct. And so what Jesus does is Jesus lovingly corrects them, and then taking a verse out of context. Number two, we see that Jesus addresses the reality of human marriage being earthly and not heavenly. You guys got to hear this, okay? Because when you read this text, This is where there's some confusion. In verse 25, it says, For when they rise from the dead, right? These are believers in general. They neither marry nor are given in marriage. And here's the confusion. But are like angels in heaven. Here's my concern. If we just take this verse for what it says without context of understanding, then you will think that when you die, you're going to be an angel. And so you will say things that I've heard many of you said in this church. Well, God gained another angel. That is not what this text is saying. The text is saying just like God created angels, he also created man. Not angels being, not man being angels, but just creation. You do know that one of God's greatest creation is humanity, right? Listen to me. There's fallen angels today. They will never be redeemed by Jesus. Here's the, here, listen to me, here's the contrast. There are fallen people today. But because of Jesus, guess what? Listen to me. They will be redeemed in Jesus. Why? Because the angels and mankind have something totally discrepancy in their self. We learned it last week. What is it? Angels were not made in the image of God. Man was made in the image of God. Therefore, if we are image bearers of God, God's sovereign grace tells us that he loves you. That he loves us. Now you know, oh, this is a different message. You're usually bashing us with a bat about sin. That was last week. There's a progression of our theology. Today we must understand, likewise, the angels don't marry So therefore, there will not be no humanistic marriage in heaven. I hate to bust your buttons. For some of you who have lost a spouse or like my father who lost my mother, right? I can't wait to be with my wife. I can't wait to be with my husband. I hate to break your bubbles right All right? But marriage was for earth. And let me tell you, the only marriage that will be in heaven... Will be Jesus Christ and his church, the bride. This is beautiful, why? Because the glory and the honor that is exalted and that is extolled will not be pointed to two humans, but will be pointed to the sovereign creator of the universe. We see it in Colossians that through him all things were made. For him and by him and for the glory of his name. Jesus is giving clear theological precepts to these Sadducees that you're missing the picture. You're thinking things of this earth. But we need to think, as Jesus told Peter, as Isaiah was warned, that we should think of the things above. Because God's ways are bigger and higher than our ways. I hope you get this. And you may say, where does it say in the Bible Right? That there will be no marriage. Well, I'll give you a close reference in 1 Corinthians 15, which we read this week in our Bible studies. In verse 40, it's up on the screen. It said, there are heavenly bodies and what? Earthly bodies. But the glory of heavenly is of one what? Kind. And the glory of the earthly is of another. Are you with me, everybody? There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for the star differs from the star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the what? Dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory, it is shown in weakness. it is raised in power and is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If, if there is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. Thus it is written: "The first man Adam belie- became a living being. The last Adam became a living, giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then say that word with me, the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. This is Adam. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of in heaven. Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Jesus is putting things into theological perspective. And I pray for us. We would not answer tough questions simply on a simple verse that we heard everybody share and made popular out of context, but we would go deeply rooted in the study of God's word. That it's not just the, the pastors spending 20, 40 hours a week inside intentional study of the original language and all this, but we would all as a church collectively learn the scriptures as we're all students of the most high God. Are you with me? My final point of the scriptures is that Jesus addresses the promise of the resurrection for believers. Look at verse 26. Jesus says that, and as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but help me out, y'all. He is the God of the what? Living. And Jesus does some uses some offensive words. You guys ready? Here we go. You are quite wrong. Jesus presses that. Therefore, Jesus does not entertain the Sadducees' logic on the woman's seven earthly marriages. He instead refocuses on that the end goal of those who truly believe in God, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? They will all have a whole new dimension of life in heaven, which is not like earth, but which is similar to that of the angels, which is not in marriage to one another, but which is in praises and adoration to our perfect God, that right there is ono. Like, that is what we're going to do forever for eternity. Dr. James Brooks says that the fact that the phrase, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob carried with it, the idea of the covenant faithfulness of God emphasizes the central truth of Jesus' words for Mark's original readers and for believers today. And it's this, you guys ready? That God is faithful, and we can rely on his promises. Let me say that again, that God is faithful, and we can rely on his promises. You know what preserves me in this midst of struggle? God is faithful. You know what preserves me when people stab me in the back? God is faithful. You know what preserves me when I stab people in the back? Right? The message is not just talking about how to better you, right? The message is talking about, no, you are rotten at the core too, Zeke. God is faithful, right? Therefore, we can trust his promises. This is the gospel. Anything contrary to the gospel is just like the Pharisees. And therefore, those who hold fast to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, we have a permission. Listen to me. To do exactly what Jesus did to these Sadducees. You ready? Offend them. A lot of preachers won't say that. But I promise you, Jesus just offended these Sadducees. And I want you to see very clearly who these Sadducees represent. You ready? Church people. These Sadducee people do not represent the world. They represent the religious church people. God's people. This is why church membership is important. Every Christian who belongs to Jesus should be an active member of a local gospel preaching church. Why? Because you need accountability. Your accountability is God's glory. You being corrected is God's glory. You being placed in check is God's glory. My correction, me being corrected, me being placed in check is God's glory. None of us are exempt from correction. No, but we want to talk about doctrines that make us feel better about our flesh. No, if there's anything that should die, it's me. It's us. It's our flesh. More of Christ, less of us. Can I get a witness out there, right? And this is why we need to belong to a local gospel preaching church. Jesus offends people. Now, I don't, see that. I don't say that you have to do it in a mean way. You have to do it in a loving way. Your compassion has to be drawn out this truth. In fact, let's look at some scripture on how people are corrected in the scriptures. Look at how people call out error, specifically Jesus. He says, if your brother in Matthew 18 sins against you, go then what? Tell him. But too much Christians go around people's backs, talk to them with somebody else, right, and never get to the source. Guilty. Guilty as charged, right? May, may we honor God's scriptures by doing what it calls us to do. 2 Timothy 2 says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with what? Gentleness. First Timothy goes on to say, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. You will know one of our men in our church stood right up here three, three weeks ago in the presence of the Ohana. He confessed his sin. And we rebuked him openly in encouragement, in love, in grace. Luke 17 says, pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, what? Forgive him. Titus 1 says this. This is the testimony that is true. Therefore, rebuke them what? Sharply. Not, not, Not just casually, but brother, I love you. Sister, I love you. The Word, Jesus himself, says that it is good for us to be corrected. Listen to me. I'm going to let you know this. In those moments when I've been corrected, it was like a weight of sin and burden was released from me. And listen to me. It is impossible for God to use someone who holds so tightly to their sin right? And ask God for blessings, when in all reality, the blessings are already there, but you choose to hold on to your iniquities, your transgressions. And even as you hear this message, you're still holding on. But let me tell you, our God is a gracious God. He cares for you. He loves you. When he raises his people from the dead, this is what he promises you, ready? You will never belong to sin, no longer. Like, that's exciting. Like, like, you're going to be free from, I know, I know, I know we have all babies in the church. I get it. Let it go. Let it happen. All right? God is doing something to all the chaos and this baby's in these babies. Hallelujah, right? Amen? Right? But we're going to be free. We're going to be free from that, mama's daddies. We're going to be free from babies crying and yelling and getting their way. Can I get a witness, right? Especially if grandma in their life or papa in their life, right? Or aunties. Just saying, all right? That's the reality. Look at Proverbs. Proverbs says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. I want you to think through that. Better is open, brook, open rebuke than hidden love. Jesus is making clear in this text that the way we address the struggles in our life is not through experiences, it's not through traditional man made tactics. But it's through the scriptures. Is the scriptures enough for you today? Is the script, if it is, then let's, let's do a few things. Here's how we should respond to today's message. And there will be Paul One, let's study the word. Not, not just wake up every morning, do a five-minute devotion. Let me tell you, your five-minute devotion is your five-minute theology for life. Let me say that again. Your five-minute devotion is your five-minute theology for life. But when you study God's Word, right, it's like how you study the thing that you love the most, right? For me, I love football. I love tech, talking about techniques. I love talking about the character of coaches and players. I love X's and O's. I love different schemes and strategies. That's just my Just in general, I love those things. How much more should I love God's Word and study it? and not just trust a pastor like me who's up on the stage who's spoon feeding you that's what i'm doing guys this is all the easy stuff you know what's the hard stuff when you go home in your closet you get out the word and you put everything that i said today right to the test don't believe me believe the text believe the scripture i'm man just like you i put on my pants same way, just like you, I'm a little bit slow, you know. But I, just like you, I fall short of the glory of God. But in God's grace, He is sufficient. He's good, and He's good to you. So study the Word. Secondly, know the Word, and thirdly, correct others by the Word. You can't get more simple than that. So you guys ready? His homework. All right, homework time for everybody. Everybody in here, you ready? Your goal this week is to lovingly correct somebody in the Word. This is called application. If you do nothing with what we just studied today, then you're going to be called what I call spiritual obesity. Meaning you're just gaining theological precepts and concepts for no reason and doing nothing with it. What goes in you, Hawaiians, comes out of you, I promise. Whether you're Hawaiian or not, it's humanity. What goes in you comes out of you. So maybe what goes in you should be good, should be perfect, should be holy. Let that be the word of God. Here's two ways you can respond today. We won't have an altar call like we normally do. But just two ways in addition to correcting someone this week. In love, in grace. Hey, Hines, I'm not saying you go come to somebody and you cuss them out. And say you blankety blank blank blank. You stupid. I'm not saying that. I'm saying in grace, in compassion, in mercy saying brother you're talking about things that I don't understand and I think you may be in error. I mean I read the verses this week about what I saw and I wanted to just dialogue with you like I'm struggling with how you say you are and how you are acting. You saw that? Now, easier said than done, right? But listen to me. Here's something that Galatians 1 has encouraged me. I'd rather be accountable to God. The one who gives me breath. The one who takes life from me than a man who just like me, who is fallible and has no power to save himself from his wretchedness. I hope that helps you today, right? I'm not going to be accountable to Marcus. I'm going to be accountable to God for my own actions. But thank be to God that his grace is sufficient. His mercies are new every morning. So one of the ways I want to highlight the Word of God, two of the ways actually, is number one, we're continuing our Ohana groups. Today is the last day of our Bible devotions through the Bible app through 1 Corinthians. Our men's, our lady groups, they're going to do different studies throughout the fall. And so my group is with the football team, so I have some coaches and some football players that have jumped on to be a part of my study. As we all end today, please get involved in that daily devotion, but also Tuesday nights and Thursday nights. We have Zoom meetings with the men and women every other week. I believe this is an off week for them. And so I want to encourage you, jump on Zoom. If you have any questions on how to do that, you guys can connect with me or connect with Kahu Marcus this morning. And lastly, God's given us a vision to start a seminary here. And so next fall of 2021, we're starting Bethlehem College and Seminary out of uh, Dr. John Piper from Minneapolis, Minnesota. And so we are meeting this Thursday night on Zoom to talk about different degrees of theological studies. They have anywhere from certificates to undergraduate to masters of arts and possibly MDiv and these degrees will be uh, in-person classes once a week. And all that so, so you'll be able to get if you have an undergraduate you'll be able to get a masters of arts uh, within 2 years just having one class a week and through the semester season and this can goes. there if you don't want to do the the uh, liberal arts general study class that's fine we have certificates which is applicable alright which, which is very applicable to what you need to do and we already have about several people who are interested in this dialogue to strengthen the churches in Hawaii and to plant gospel centered gospel focused gospel urgent churches we need that in Hawaii now. as a kanaka who grew up here in the homestead We need more gospel preaching churches. Not churches that talk about man, man this, man that. But if there's anything they talk about man, it's that man is sinful. Apart from Christ, in need of the gospel. Are you with me? ko, God, we love you. We thank you for these action steps. Give us the vigor and the boldness to live out this life of faith that only you can give us. God, in the midst of the quietness in this room, I pray for our Ohana. I pray that if there's anyone in here who has not experienced Your grace and mercy, that they would repent of their sins, they would ask for forgiveness, they would trust in You as their Lord and Savior, not because of preacher led them into prayer, because of Your Holy Spirit, to the, convic- to the conviction of the proclamation of Your Scriptures was made evident in their hearts today. Therefore, no manipulation needs to be taking place, but they will respond simply because of your words. We love you, God. Would you save them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? We also pray for those who are believers in Christ who are not experienced joy and freedom in their struggle today. Jesus, remind them that your Scripture is enough. As we end in adorations to you, we say this modeled prayer as you said in Matthew six: "Our Father."